Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Admittedly, uh, the topic we're going over today is one of my least favorite diseases to treat, but alas, a disease that I think it's important to recognize because it can be so classic, and that is perianal fistula. So perianal fistula, some people also call it anal frunculosis. It's predominantly a disease process we see in German Shepherd dogs, or mixes, right? Because we don't exactly know what a mix is made of. So there are definitely a lot of mixes that may have some German Shepherd in them that can get this disease. But it doesn't have to be. I have diagnosed dogs who are not German Shepherds at all. So for example, I have a standard poodle I manage with perianal fistula. And it can be a disease that is really uncomfortable and painful, but one that we can make feel a lot better and can be really classic to diagnose. So obviously we see these fistula at the perianal region. So right around the anus and the fistula itself, that is a a little tunnel, a tunnel that forms between two, two, two sets of tissues that should not be there. Um, so usually it's going within the skin, but you do have to be careful to palpate and make sure it's not directly connecting to the rectum because obviously that can be a lot more serious and concerning. But traditionally what you'll see clinically on exam is fistula around the perianal region. This can just be a single fistula. This can be numerous fistula. Sometimes it is very small. It can be really large and encompassing, very swollen. So it's something you want to make sure you're evaluating with your eyes clinically, but then also I do a rectal to make sure there's no communication with the digestive tract because obviously that can, like I said, be more serious and potentially need surgical intervention. Something that we'll see traditionally owners report with this disease process is straining to defecate. Sometimes because they are straining, there can be blood within the feces. Um, Dogs can lick excessively, so they'll just kind of lick their anal region, the tail. Um, They won't want to defecate. They'll cry when they defecate. Um, Some dogs can actually get really anorexic or aggressive because they just do not feel good. They don't want the back end touched because it's so uncomfortable and swollen and they can act depressed and agitated. Um, So if I get especially a German Shepherd or a German Shepherd breed coming into me because they're licking the back end, they're having a hard time defecating, I'm definitely thinking of perianal fistulas. And so you can see them, like I said, either be really swollen, focal, there can be numerous amounts of them. They can have a lot of purulent debris. They can be very ulcerated, very painful. Um, I have had to sedate in order to evaluate them because of how uncomfortable they can be. Um, But most dogs are pretty good about letting us examine them. Um, The big thing I do want you to recognize is they can become infected. And this can be a really difficult area to know if you collect a cytology, 
you know, do we treat bacteria as present? Because obviously it is an area of the body that can get infection. Um, so I look for things like white blood cells, quantity of bacteria, what it clinically looks like to know if I do need something like um, systemic antibiotics to uh, treat this disease. Unfortunately, we don't know that much about the pathophysiology of this disease. Um, there obviously has to be some sort of genetic component because we predominantly see it in German shepherds. Um, I think some reports even go up to 70-80% of cases are within German shepherds. But we don't exactly know why this disease happens in this breed. It is something believed to be an autoimmune disease, especially because of the response we can see to certain medications. It does tend to happen in middle-aged dogs. And traditionally, treatment-wise, it used to always be suggested to bring them to surgery. But now, medical management seems to be the way that we treat most of these cases, though in severe cases, surgery may need to be considered. Traditionally, there's two main medications that will be used, and that is either cyclosporin, so the brand name of that would be Atopica, or Tacrolimus, Tacrolimus, depends on how you want to pronounce it. Um, that brand name can be Protopic. So Tacrolimus is a topical ointment that can be placed on the fistula, you know, once, twice a day, and then tapered down depending on the response. You know, cyclosporin is a medication that we suggest anywhere from 5 to 10 megs per keg in a day. Obviously, as we are talking about bigger dogs, German Shepherd, and this is why this disease can be so a little frustrating is it's a big dog that requires an expensive medication. But if we are going to put them on something like cyclosporin, I like to at least put them on five mix per keg, if not a little bit higher um, daily. Sometimes I split the dose into twice daily, depending on how the dog tolerates it, but a total of around five mix per keg within a day. I always recommend personally that owners start with Atopica um, because we do know there are a subset of dogs who do not absorb the generic form of cyclosporin as well. So I'll try to see if the owners can start on Atopica. If they can do the full dose financially, great. Sometimes we do have to lower the dose, so maybe go around more two to three mg per keg and pair it with ketoconazole, which is about a five to 10 mg per keg once daily medication. We do know that giving it with ketoconazole can increase our blood cyclosporin levels based on the mechanism of action of both these medications. So I always tell owners the ideal is to do the full dose atopica. If we can't do it financially, then we might cut the dose of atopica and pair it with ketoconazole. Um, or if I can get them under control with the brand name atopica, then within a month or two, we'll try to switch to the generic form of cyclosporin and make sure that that is a dog that tolerates it well. But I'll know that if I can get them under control with the brand name Atopica first. Um, so that traditionally, those two medications are what I tend to reach for in these cases. It really depends on the severity. If there's numerous fistula, if the dog's really painful when you try to touch it, then I'll go for systemic cyclosporin. If it's a more focal lesion and it's a pretty tolerant dog, then we might start with something like tacrolimus first. And then, like I mentioned, most of them are going to need antimicrobials to some degree to get secondary infection under control. Now, 
depending on the case and if they have things like GI signs, sometimes a diet trial can be helpful because there are reports of dogs who have a food allergy as a contributing factor to their perianal fistula. So depending on what the owner can do, um, what our priorities are, sometimes I will have them do a food trial to see if it is contributing. And then the more difficult cases are the ones that might end up going to a surgeon and actually having that infected tissue removed if it's not responsive. But I would say there's a majority of cases that do respond to medication and a lot of them can be tapered down over time. So I have cases where we have managed them with cyclosporin either every other day, even some cases twice weekly. But I make sure owners know that they are monitoring for signs of their disease flaring. This is still an autoimmune disease that can flare like any other autoimmune disease. So if they start to notice they're licking towards their rear a lot, if they're straining to defecate, if there's blood in their feces, if they're uncomfortable, then I want to know about it so we can change their medications in an appropriate way to get them back under control. And I have had cases do well for a year or two on a lower dose and then just temporarily need to increase it when they have a flare and then we can pull back the dose in the future. There are some reports of cases that can get off the medication, but at least in my experience, a majority of them to some degree end up on some form of chronic medication. So I have owners aware of that when we start treatment and then we try to taper to the lowest amount of therapy we can over time. The other quick thing I will note about managing these cases, um, the way that I write them down in my record is, it's going to sound a little funny, but I consider the perianal region almost like a clock face. So when I'm making a note of, you know, there's two fistula, I might say there is, you know, I'll measure it, how big it is, how deep it is. And I'll say at the two o'clock position, you know, there is a three millimeter deep um, fistula that is five millimeters in diameter at the two o'clock position. And then there's another one at the six o'clock position. Because if you have other people following up with these cases, it's nice for them to know exactly where you were seeing the lesions in case new ones pop up or if they get more severe. And because it's a location that can be hard to describe, viewing it as a clock face actually can be really helpful in your follow-up with these cases. So I hope you find that helpful. Like I said, this is a disease that it's not my favorite to treat because it is one that big dogs need, you know, chronic medications. Um, it's one that the dogs can be really painful. But if you do appropriately diagnose them and work them up and get the owner on board for the long-term management of that disease, it's amazing the improvement of the quality of life you can have in these cases. So if you like talking about these kind of obscure diseases and how to treat them, as always, I really encourage you guys to check out the Derm Nerds. If you go to my website, thedermvet.com, there's a link where you can sign up for the Derm Nerds. And that is just a private online community where we go over really in depth these topics, you know, cases. If you're having a case you're struggling with, you can get advice from numerous dermatologists and other, other general practitioners. So it's a really great um, community to be a part of so you can gain more confidence in how you're practicing dermatology.